to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and I love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU, and since then I have been a beer director, a beer consultant, beer bar general manager. I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will bring a different guest from different facets of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, coming here to help us explore this wonderful and fascinating world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Today, I am joined by the one and only Greg Engert, uh, beer director of Neighborhood Restaurant Group, 2013 James Beard Award nominated gentlemen welcome uh Greg it's great to see you you too full disclosure I worked for this uh, man for two years as general manager at Birch and Barley Church Key and after seeing your face so frequently it's nice to see your face again yeah I know and we definitely miss you every day Well, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Uh, so I see that you brought us some treats uh-huh. to uh, drink this morning at 11 a.m. on a Monday. No better time. Uh, what'd you bring? Well, I brought I brought a, a couple of beers, and I think we're going to start with um, one of uh, my beers mm-hmm. from Blue Jacket, um, our brewery down in, in Navy Yard uh, near National Stadium. So um, this beer is called For the Company. And it is a crisp, refreshing, low ABV Helles or pale lager, very traditional in the Munich um, mode. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring it because it's, well, it's one of the more appropriate beers for this, uh, uh, I guess, a Monday morning. Yeah. But also because it's something that I think we do really well at Blue Jacket and we've been kind of uh, moving towards for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Recently, uh, about six months or so ago, we brought in a new director of brewing operations at Blue Jacket. His name is Ro Gunzel, mm-hmm. and he is an amazing um, brewer and beer mind, and he came to us from, from Colorado. He started at Kaltenberg Castle, and, uh, and I think it was in Vail years ago, um, really, really classic German-style um, brewery, brew pub. And then left hand for many years, where he was head brewer, and then over to Great Divide. Um, he's been a longtime friend of ours, and actually really good friends with Nathan Anda, who's our butcher at the Red Apron Concepts. And so he came to D.C. He's running the show with uh, with me at Blue Jacket, and he makes exquisite uh, German style lager beer. Yeah, quite a resume. Well, yeah. this is clear, crystal, beautiful head. That's stunning. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so he's, uh, I mean, it's just the uh, quintessentially simple beer, you know, uh, yeah. lots of great um, toasted, bready, 
uh, malts in the nose. Um, really great lager character. This is lagered for anywhere from uh, four weeks to six weeks mm-hmm. before uh, release. And uh, it's just, I think it's just beautifully nuanced and really just restrained. Yeah, that's stunning. Uh, definitely a great way to start off the morning. Mm, yeah. What's the name come from? So, it, it's, it originally started from, I think, a, a Mark Twain quote which I will butcher horribly, but the, okay. the end of it is, um, uh, I can't remember, it's basically it becomes hell mm-hmm. is for the company. So I think it, was, it began as kind of a play on like hell is for Hellas, uh, German for pale. Yeah. And then for me, when Roe kind of passed this name up the chain, it was like, what do you think? I started to just think about, you know, how whenever breweries produce lagers, they tend to be for the brewers, yeah. first you know and then the visiting brewers and everybody comes through always like we'll forego the fruited sour or the barrel aged imperial stout or the double ipa mm-hmm. in favor of whatever pilsner or lager happens to be there so it ends up kind of being a beer that was created for our company yeah um and it's be quickly taken off i mean one of the coolest things about the intersection i think of craft beer and just the beer culture in general today is that brewers like Roe. Uh, and his team can put together a very delicious, subtle um, Hellas like this, like for the company, that brewers, whenever they come to Blue Jacket, can't wait to drink. And yet, also, any Nationals fan that comes in before a game mm-hmm. is going to crush. You know, it's just yeah. so cool that, like, it's the broadest audience possible, I think, with this pale lager. Uh, movement that's happening and of course like everybody's jumping into it right now you know Firestone Walker has a pale lager coming out that they're doing nationally founders so it's kind of becoming a trend yeah I mean it's definitely very approachable and you know what is the what is the ABV on this again Uh, I think it's like five and a half yeah so So this is like definitely crushable you're not going to do any any damage at all no it's amazing well, I want to back up a little bit and talk about your background a little bit for those who are not familiar. You didn't start off in beer. You started off in the Ivory Towers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I, every day I realized that I made the correct decision. Um, but yeah, so I, I um, came to D.C., almost 16 years ago now, mm-hmm. which is crazy, um, as a graduate student in English literature at Georgetown University. I was supposed to be a professor of modernist fiction, uh, teaching Wolf, Joyce, Lawrence, Forrester, etc. Still love all that stuff, of course, but um, just it just ran out of steam. Uh, I've been going to school since you know I was a kid and never stopped. And uh, so, yeah, so I just started to kind of just like think about some new things. Luckily, uh, a buddy of mine from undergrad, I went to school at Middlebury College up in Vermont. A buddy of mine was down here acting in mm-hmm. D.C., which has an amazing um, uh, theater uh, scene. And, of course, he was acting, and so he was also bartending. And he was bartending at the inimitable Brick Skeller uh, Inn and Saloon, which was, you know, a lot of people don't realize this. This was like the first beer bar in the country. Yeah, uh, it, it opened open in- 57. Yeah, Yeah. and even then, I've seen menus um, from those days. They had like 20 different beers in 1957. So like they had Corona in 1957, which is quite a feat um, when you think about how little beer was available back then. And 
Yeah, so they just started there and just started and just built the list all the way through. And you know, the first sit down tasting for beer like wine was performed at the Briggs Keller in the early '80s. Michael Jackson, the uh, huge beer and whiskey writer, would come to DC every year and do tastings at the Briggs Keller. And this is all before beer was remotely cool. Um, so it was amazing. And I, through my friend who was acting at bartending, got a job there in 2004, mm-hmm. just as I was figuring out how I was going to best quit grad school. And uh, that provided me at least some money to do that. And, 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 and I walked in the, through those doors. I mean, I'd been a patron, but I had never, I'd never even worked at a restaurant before or bar. And I fell in love with it immediately. Um, the hospitality portion, the service, and then the beer. I mean, yeah. 2,000 different bottles and cans that I'd never heard of. And I basically traded in my novels for mostly international um, selections of, of amazing craft beer and just went to school on it. And kind of one thing led to another. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a beer director uh, for neighborhood restaurant group that includes how many restaurants now? Technically, it's nineteen concepts, okay. but of course, like they're not all restaurants. We have a, a brewery and restaurant, Blue Jacket. Mm-hmm. We have um, two coffee shops called Buzz. We have uh, a wine shop called Planet Wine. But yeah, we have nearly twenty different concepts throughout DC, North Virginia, and one Owen's Ordinary, which is a really great um, beer bar and restaurant up in. Um, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, and mm-hmm. Rockville. So yeah, so we've uh, been lucky enough to grow pretty, uh, pretty amazingly over the last twenty years. So yeah, the company's been around since the late nineties. So something that uh, definitely impressed me when I first started working at Birch and Bradley Church Key was how uh, the list was organized. And, you know, you have these massive beer lists, um, especially at Birch and Valley Church Key, but also at Rustico, uh, both locations, and at Sovereign in Georgetown. Um, and it's organized in a very specific way that helps somebody navigate a beer list that doesn't quite, maybe not quite understand beer. Do you want to kind of explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, because I think that, I, I don't know, I feel like an old man saying this now, but the the craft beer game has obviously changed so dramatically over the past 15, 20 years Mm -hmm. that I've been involved in it. And um, it wasn't always like this. So if we can step back in time to 2006, that's when we opened our first beer property, uh, Rustico, Alexandria, uh, in Alexandria, Virginia, right outside of the city. And at that time, you know, craft beer was not ubiquitous. Uh, it was not expected. It was not on every menu. It was on no menus. And at that time, if you wanted to get craft beer on draft, you had to go to a very small cadre of specialist bars, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy to think that just that 12 years ago it was like that, but it's true. And so when I took over the list at Rustico in Alexandria, it had opened a few months earlier and I was brought in to kind of change direction there. And I doubled down on the craft aspect. I mean, they were serving... Pilsner, Raquel, uh, Guinness, you know, some others like Magic Hat number nine and things like that that had kind of just become mainstream and were some of them were were definitely not even craft and yeah. we wanted to and Stella was on draft. I mean it was just it was it was really disappointing. So I came in and just I was given free reign, so I overhauled the entire list of thirty drafts and about three hundred bottles and cans. 
but in doing so, I was very aware of the current clientele and trying to uh, play nice and be accepted and you know extend the hospitality I wanted to do. So when I got there, I knew that if I was going to make these wholesale changes, I had to make it uh, approachable. And mm-hmm. I knew that there were going to be uh, you know there were going to be uh, calls for you know pretense and things like that. So I tried to come up with a system, and I think I did successfully, whereby we wouldn't have to list the beers by you know where they're from. So unlike yeah. wine, you wouldn't need to know what a region maybe would tell you about the beer, but also. Beer regions don't tell you much because you can make Belgian style beers in you know Antarctica. You know, so like it's not as tied to the ground as it is with wine. So I didn't want to do it by regions or by place. And then stylistically, I thought it just asked too much of the guest to have to know yeah. what a you know Dunkelweizen was mm-hmm. to be able to understand what they were going to be ordering and perhaps liking or not liking. So I came up with this flavor profiling system. Seven major categories, mm-hmm. and then some subcategories within where every beer could fit. And I figured it was a great way, you know, just very basic stuff. Crisp, hop, malt, roast, tart and funky, fruit and spice, and smoke. These are things that, you know, generally you can understand and, and gain access to the beers. Uh, and also it would help the staff, too. We'd know that, like, hey, if somebody comes in and says, like, I absolutely hate bitterness and IPAs, we could steer clear of the hop category. I mean, this sounds yeah. so obvious today, but back then it was really, really an important thing. And then the last part that was so great is not only was it an accessible way to organize the menus, mm-hmm. it was also a way that we could foreground food pairing. It would get our guests and our staff to start thinking about beer, not necessarily in like it's by its ingredients or historic nature or stylistic, but just in the broad flavors and how those broad flavors could then work with food. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We are going to take a quick little break. And actually, when we get back, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about beer pairing. And the music you're listening to today, all courtesy of Flash Frequency, local producer here, actually lives in Adams Morgan, hosts Leaf Broadcast Thursdays at 6. We'll be right back on Beer Me. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass. Discover Compass, America's first modern real estate company. By pairing the industry's top agents with technology, Compass delivers an incomparable client experience from the first-time buyer to the seasoned seller. Visit them today in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, or navigate compass.com day or night. Welcome back to Beer Me, recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. I'm sitting down today with Greg Anger, the beer director at Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Uh, he just kind of broke down what, uh, you know, kind of how beer lists are organized uh, and kind of uh, beautifully uh, for right into beer pairings, which was going to be my next question. Uh, so Birch and Barley uh, definitely focuses a lot on pairing beer with food. Uh, You offer a tasting menu uh, with beer pairings. And something that I have always respected is that you get a range of beer. You know, it's not like an entire tasting menu with just all sours. Um, It's it's, it's a full range of beer. And, um, you know, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit about beer pairings here. Well, I think, you know, I I will say that I'm very proud of all the work that we've done you know, with, with beer over the past, you know, well, I guess with a group now, nearly, 
well, just about 12 years or so, but I think that I am most proud of the work we do at Birch and Barley every day. Of course, Sarah Jane was um, very, very much a part of that for uh, a number of years. And because I just think that nobody else is doing it still to this day. And it's, un- it's unfortunate. I really wish that more people would, would, would jump in and dive in, you know, consistently with beer and food pairing because it is so rewarding, as you mentioned. And, you know, we have done a tasting menu with beer and food mm-hmm. every single day um, for almost nine years now at Birch and Barley, which is really cool. You know, some other food and beer restaurants have come and gone in that time period, but I'm really psyched to say that we've continued to do it. And I think to your point about, you know, maintaining this kind of great spread of flavors on our tasting menu and the pairings, mm-hmm. really a lot of that just has to do with how amazing beer is for pairing and how versatile it is. I mean, we used to always talk about the fact that, you know, it's not like with wine where it's like with this dish, really only this wine is going to work. You know, with beer, I I feel like there's at least two options. And I mean like very distinct options of pairing roots you could take with with any given dish. And, because it just depends on what you're trying to do with with the food. Are you trying to, you know, dig into richness? Are you trying to complement flavors, contrast flavors, and on and on? But what's been so awesome about that is it allows us to give us a broad range of flavors when we're doing tasting menus, but also to the guest. You know, um, guests will come in and be like, "I want to really want to get this. What, you know, with what should I, you know, uh, drink uh, mm-hmm. when I'm having this this dish?" And we can say, "Well, if you like these flavors, go this way." But if that's not your thing, we can go that way. And that, and that has been something that's been really rewarding is figuring that out, I think, over the past decade. I mean, okay, let's think about it this way. Coming up this week is uh, Valentine's Day, right? right? Very common thing that people uh, buy on Valentine's Day is chocolate-covered strawberries. Right. What two directions could we go in? Well, so for that, I mean, this, this is the, the, the beautiful thing with that is you can go in like eight different directions. Um, you know, with the amount of different stouts that they're okay, so for the first thing, obviously, I think of chocolate, I think of stouts, right? Yeah. But we don't have to just pick like a standard imperial stout. I mean, with the amount of adjunct stouts that there are today, we can go in so many different directions. We could take a stout that's just loaded up with vanilla and not just complement the flavors of the chocolate, um, mm-hmm. but also add a layer of vanilla that maybe wasn't pre existing. So there's like that, that's the kind of complement route. The other thing that is so exciting nowadays is that these, um, Hoppy beers. Mm-hmm. So this classic thing I always think about is like with espresso, you know, there's a reason why Italians used to serve, still do, uh, a, a lemon peel with their espresso. There's a citrus, citrus and chocolate are made for each other. Mm-hmm. And so many big IPAs, I'm thinking like double and triple IPAs have always delivered incredible um, citric uh, fruit forward aromatics. Yeah. But until recently, they tended to be bone dry pretty bitter and bitterness can work if you're working with good dark chocolate but the sweeter the chocolate becomes you get a little clashing there so one of the you know greatest things that has happened recently i think with this shift from dry bitter ipas yeah to softer sweeter more citric aromatic ipas this whole like west coast goes to new england ipa thing as much as people may you know think it's crazy that they're everywhere yada 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 the sweeter, softer, big double and triple IPAs are incredible with things like chocolate because now you don't have to, you have a creamy sweetness on the palate to mimic that of the chocolate, but mm-hmm. you're getting to add in the citrus flavor. So it's like, that's one of the things I've loved so much about this change from dry and bitter to sweet and supple is that 
we get a little bit more opportunity, I think, with food pairing uh, when it comes to hop forward beers. Yeah, totally. And you can even go, you know, mimicking champagne direction in with Berliner Weiss. I mean, it works. You've got you've got that as well. You have any kind of you know fruited beer to kind of go with the no duh pairing. But right. you know, so so far we've already listed you know at least like five different options here for one item. For one item that I think wine would struggle to find one thing to go with. You know, yeah. like it could be really hard. So um, yeah, it's amazing. There's definitely. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot more options as far as uh, beer pairing go. Um, so as far as uh, service for beer bars, you know, Church Key uh, in, you know, has definitely stood the test of time. And uh, I hate to like bring it down to this very basic thing, but I really think that a big part of the success is consistency in service and line cleanliness yes now for those of you that don't know line cleaning is paramount to uh, greg and if you know a beer comes offline you don't automatically put somebody put something through that line uh to replace that beer that line is taken off that line is soaked in water then it's soaked through caustic which is a cleaning solution then through water again that water is tasted to make sure that there's nothing left in that line and then a new beer is put on. And pH tested, too. Yeah, <laughs> and P- yes, yeah. and pH tested. Yeah, so you're not drinking caustic. Right. Um. <laughs> I'll tell you, so the thing about, about the line cleaning is, you know, well, first thing is this. You know, I am so happy and, like, overjoyed, honestly, that craft beer is everywhere. That's what we wanted. That's exactly what we set out to do uh, with, the, with the craft beer industry and the movement in the U.S. for, for decades now. That's exact. It's amazing. However... As anything that's popular and profitable, mm-hmm. it leads to, I think, you know, a little bit of laziness sometimes with how it's treated. You know, I mean, when we got back into this 15 years ago, it, it wasn't profitable. We were doing it purely based on passion. We wanted to seek out the greatest flavors in the world and serve them in the absolute best way possible. We wanted to turn people on to craft beer. Uh, and we were really doing it for that. That was the, that was the reason behind it. Luckily... People got into it, and it has been able to provide careers for us all. That's what we want. It's been amazing. But sometimes now when I'll go to places, and they'll have a killer beer list. I mean, I, you know, it's just like, and what I always say is, like, that's not really the hard part. You know, selecting, sourcing great beers. I mean, you have to build relationships. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of great beer out there now. So getting that's one thing. Committing, like you said, for every day in and day out to staff training, to tasting, to food pairing, to cleaning lines, making sure glassware is spotless, making sure that dish machines that constantly break down are constantly replaced and repaired and it's a drain on your finances for sure. But like doing that every day is really the hard part. And that's what I think a true craft beer bars do. And I'll tell you, the first time a brewer says, my beer that you know comes to you from California, this stuff has been shipped across the country, probably mishandled, you know, gets yeah. to church key, you tap it, and the brewer says, this beer tastes as good as it does at our brewery. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. If you're me, then it's just like, okay, whatever we're doing, we're going to do forever, uh, no matter the cost. And, and, that's, and that's what we've been doing with the line cleaning. I mean, every single time we change from brand to brand, and now we're rotating 95% of every single draft list. And that's not just church key. That's all of our nearly 20 places. Mm-hmm. We are pulling apart the faucets, cleaning them with a toothbrush, you know, yeah. soaking it. Cleaning the lines, as you mentioned, pH testing, water tasting, then going uh, to the next beer. And it's something that I wish 
you know, more and more people would do. Um, but, um, but I'm glad to, to hear that, you know, people are still psyched that we're doing it at Church King. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely important. And like you said, you go to, you know, different places. Uh, you know, I recently went to a beer bar that I was very excited about going and I tried a beer that I was really excited about. I'm not going to name any names, mm-hmm. but I was really disappointed because of the first sip I took, the line was infected and I could immediately, immediately taste it. And it was like, it was like this soul crushing moment where I was like, I wanted this beer. <laughs> I, I wanted this beer so badly. And then imagine from the brewer's perspective, it's just like, oh, it's, cra- it's crazy. Because, you know, I mean, like, at least with, uh, it's, it's hard. Draft beer is a difficult thing for mm-hmm. brewers because you have to trust people to really take care of it. You know, um, the other beer that I brought, I can pour in a second, is from Hill Farmstead, you know, and Sean Hill and I, uh, he's a good friend and we talk about it all the time. And that's why he has been so loath to distribute his beer because he knows that you just offer yourself an opportunity for people to mistaste your beer. Yeah. You know, you, you take, spend all this time making sure it's as great as it can be, as perfect as it can be, only to have it possibly messed up in the end, and it's uh, tough. Now, that said, Sean trusts us, so he does send us some of his beer. But, you know, I mean, it's, like, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty remarkable how, how much the cleaning thing matters. Now, uh, one more thing I want to kind of grill you on a little bit is, so you've done a lot of travel, mm-hmm. um, a lot of it beer-related. Uh, now, beer travel, beer commerce is very important, uh, kind of growing the beer world and supporting craft. Uh, I want you to give us an answer for, if you're just starting out in beer, where mm-hmm. to go internationally, where to go domestically, and if you're a massive beer nerd, where you must visit. Okay. Uh, and none of this was rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm like springing, this, I'm springing uh, this on you completely. Okay, so, uh, so the, the, the newbie... Mm-hmm. Domestically and internationally. Yep. Well, I think. Uh, well, I mean, there's one. There's only one answer for internationally, and that's Belgium, and it's Brussels, mm-hmm. and it's the, the whole country. It's. My, I mean, I, I always say, if I didn't live in DC, I'd want to live in Brussels. I I love I love Belgium. I love Brussels. I love the people there. I have a lot. I'm lucky to have a lot of good friends over there. I think that th- some of the very best beers in the world many of the very best beers in the world are made there and so many of the very best brewers in the world are there in Belgium uh, and so I would say that whether you've, you're new to craft beer or you've been drinking craft beer for 35 years you should go back to Belgium mm-hmm. and I could definitely find I can give you a great beginner's itinerary and I can give you the kind of the master's itinerary and I guarantee I can find you something new exciting that you've never even dreamt of there and the other thing is that there's so much cool food there and the restaurant the whole thing and 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 just like in the u.s it's all together you know the chocolate makers hang out with the brewers uh, you know and so you just once you get into the scene over there you can really get into the whole flavor scene and not just beer so i would say like belgium for all three categories um in the u.s i mean uh, i know i went to school there but i would say that vermont i just mentioned sean hill Mm -hmm. i think going to greensboro and visiting uh hill farmstead is an absolute must if you if you live in America or not, and you're a craft beer fan, you've never been to Hill Farmstead, you should make sure that you do that immediately. Uh, and then, obviously, while you're there, you've got the Alchemist Stowe, uh, Foam Brewers in Burlington are doing incredible stuff. Todd's uh, doing amazing stuff up there. So you know, Vermont's a place I love. Um, I don't know. I guess moving towards like the places that for 
the hardened beer geek who's mm-hmm. had all the hazy IPAs and all the mixed fermentation saisons. Uh, Suarez Family Brewery in the Hudson Valley is yeah. incredible. It shouldn't be missed by anyone. He makes beautiful um, small beers, you know, very, very kind of like the Hellas that we tasted earlier. Um, the Hudson Valley should just be visited by everyone yeah, in general. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just an amazing place. There's so much cool stuff going on there. Um, and then uh, a place that I finally visited this summer after wanting to go for ever and ever uh, is Franconia in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is maybe the, you know, people who've been in a beer for a long time. Uh, you could base your trip out of Bamberg, uh, where Spezial and Schlankerla are making amazing Rach here still to this day, of course. And then there's just an incredible Keller beer culture. So unfiltered lagers. But when you go in Franconia... So wait, you got to go to Mars, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh. Yeah, I just stepped over there. Yeah, Stefan, Michelle, and Mars. Uh, with that Ungespunde lager, the unfiltered lager they make is incredible. So yeah, so Bamberg, Mars, Spezial, uh, Schlankerla. And then just using that as a jumping off point to travel all around the region of Franconia, which is in northern Bavaria. You know, you fly into Frankfurt, take the train. And uh, it is still, I think, the highest per capita area for breweries in the world. So every little tiny town and village has two amazing breweries that make incredible fresh lager. Um, and uh, the one that can absolutely not be missed is Monk Sambacher, uh, which we love. But also, I really like uh, a brewery called Löwenbräu, which is in Butenheim. So those are two that I always try to get. And when you're there, uh, you get these things. They're called Krugs. They're stone, um, you know, like liter, gla- not glasses, but I guess mugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just fill it up with this hazy, unfiltered lager that could not be more fresh. And it is incredible. And then you get to sit there and eat fried pork and perfect mustard. Yes, and outside. Outside. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is. It's just so amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I would, yeah, I would go there. I mean, yeah, it's just incredible. Okay. So for being unscripted, that was a perfect answer right there. Thank so. you. <laughs> Well, uh, Greg, thank you so much for you know coming in and chatting with me today. My pleasure. Um, and uh, definitely, there is a neighborhood restaurant group restaurant near you if you live <laughs> in this area, <laughs> whether you are in Alexandria or Georgetown or Logan Circle, anywhere. Uh, you know, definitely check it out. Go out of your comfort zone. Order some beer you're not familiar with. Quiz a bartender, and uh, you know, have fun drinking beer. So. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Beer Me on Full Service Radio. We've been broadcasting live uh, from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Uh, I have been your host, Sarah Jane. The show airs live every Monday at 11 a.m. This is archived on fullserviceradio.org. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio, or by emailing info at fullserviceradio.org. Thank you again for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. 
If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.